And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for these things. Praise God. Amen. Everyone said amen. We have cleared out chairs on both sides so that you could shout and dance and run tonight and have plenty of room to do so. On my left side, you could be a holy roller. On my right side, you can run in large circles. And you may be seated. We begin tonight with um, first lesson in our series, and we're going to investigate some spiritual disciplines. I will, I'll take a handout if you have one. If there's an extra handout, I'll take one, Brother Danny. Thank you, Brother. Brother, okay. That way I can keep up with everybody. All right, wonderful. I want you to imagine uh, the day that a servant who served the prophet Elisha woke up in the morning and went about his daily duty to find that he was surrounded by a great host. And um, he is gripped with fear. And in that little area of Dothan, there's no escape. And he runs to the prophet who, whom he has served so adequately well. And he says to the prophet, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Or, prophet, what are we going to do? Now the prophet has provoked this because he heard what the enemy was saying in private. And he relayed that message to the king of Israel. And the armies of Israel were spared many times. Until finally, the enemy said, someone is telling our secrets. So the enemy goes to Dothan and they surround this man. Have you ever felt surrounded? Have you ever felt that wherever you turn, there's a problem? Somebody is out to get you wherever you go. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that life seems to encircle you with issues that you cannot avoid? I'll just take that as a unanimous yes. This is not the place where you're going to start shouting on the sides of the church, but we'll, I'll give you an opportunity. And in the morning when the servant woke up, there's no name attributed to him. He runs back to his master, his employer, and he says to Elisha, what are we going to do? What can we do? 
We're surrounded. And then Elisha says, well, let's pray. Now, I love this part because the prophet could pray many prayers. Let's do the one where fire comes down from heaven. How about the one where the whole valley is filled with, with a flood and it drowns them? How about the one where hail comes? Let's do what Moses did and send darkness over them or an angel of death. None of those were the prayers. Have you ever been with someone and you wanted them to pray for you and they started to pray? It's the wrong prayer. It's not the prayer you wanted them to pray. I've been stopped before in the middle of a prayer and someone said to me, Pastor, no, if you'll pray for this. I said, yes, but I can't do that. Let's pray for this one first. Because I was praying that their heart would be right. Now, they needed a healing, but I was praying for their heart and their life. (laughs) This is going to mess you up a little bit. Sometimes we want needs fulfilled, but when we're out of order, our needs won't, the fulfillment of the temporary need won't fix a life that's out of order. So until we pray the right prayer, we're not going to get the result that we want. Band-aid prayers are plentiful, but they do not fix the problem. So we're going to pray for a clean heart and for a right spirit. Amen. And the crowd applauds and goes crazy. That's, I wrote that down. They're going to go, yes. Shouting ensues. No, didn't happen. Okay, let's go on. So we have this problem and the, the prophet says, I'm going to pray for you. And here comes the spiritual avenue. Now, if you've been around this house for any length of time, you know that I do present a pragmatic side up to the point where it becomes dangerous for us. Because I do think that many of our issues and problems are not that of the devil. They are man-made issues and problems. We create most of the problems that we have. It was not the demons in hell that do that. That's true. This is true. I'm not going to do it tonight, but we're going to talk about the spirit of God, the demonic spirit, and then there's another spirit. It's your spirit, the spirit of man, your spirit. Everybody has their own spirit. Okay. The prophet opens up his mouth and he prays this prayer and he says... I pray thee, open up his eyes that he may see. Wrong prayer. Wrong prayer. That's not, that's not the prayer of vengeance. It's not the prayer of hail or darkness. But the Bible says that the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And that is the critical point. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. There is an invisible battlefield that takes place in our lives every day. There is an invisible battle and a battlefield that takes place in our lives every day. For all those who are a child of God, this is a tug of war for your eternal soul. Every day that you wake up, there is a tug of war to pull you out of the safety of God. To become discouraged or disenchanted, disenfranchised. To be wounded or offended or believe something that's not true. To be misled or confused. To be lied to. This is part of the construct of the enemy of your soul. And there is an invisible battlefield. We're talking about spiritual things tonight. 
I, I will give you these scriptures in, in order because I wanted you to know that whatever surrounds you in your physical life, living for the Lord provides another level of encirclement. There is a heavenly host that surrounds your life no matter what it looks like on the outside or the external or the physical. There is a spiritual protection for every blood-bought child of the Most High God. You're never going to be alone. You're never without. It doesn't matter where you turn and everything goes wrong. If the Lord be for you, be with you, who can be against you? He knows what your problems are before you ever meet your problems. And he's already provided an answer for the problem and the question before you ever ponder and query him about them. Fact of the matter is, the Lord has already prepared what you need on Sunday, even though you don't know what you need yet on Sunday. He's already preparing it for you. When you get here on Sunday, there's going to be an answer for our question you don't even know you have yet. Now, let me ask you, how is it that one sermon can answer everybody's questions? Because see, when he breaks the bread and he passes it out, it's the same bread and it feeds everybody. It's a spiritual thing. You can't compute it. You cannot decipher it. This is a spiritual transaction. And everybody said amen. The body of Christ, this is the body of Jesus Christ. It's, it's greater than any individual church. I know that. However, within the uh, construct of the church, of our church, we are also the body of Jesus Christ. And, and the Lord allows every church body the ability to govern itself but it also allows that church body the necessary um, uh, ability or the necessary talents abilities uh, 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 provisions to spread the gospel whatever we are instructed of God to do within this church we have all the needs to do it, whether it be, whether it be financial or, or uh, intensive labor or witnessing or prayer or intercessory prayer. We have all of that. Now, whether or not everyone participates, that's another story. All the talents are here. And when someone decides that they're, they're too valuable to be lost... God can replace them and raise up someone else to put in their place. Because he's never going to leave his body without an arm or an ear or an eye. The body of Jesus Christ is not deformed. It's whole and it's complete. And he makes it complete. And when people rise to the level they think that they can't be uh, replaced, God rises up or brings up someone else to fill that role. And the unlikelies to succeed... Shine like the morning star. Always. Don't ever think that everyone needs you and that no one can live without you. This is the Lord's church. Don't, I hope that you're givers. Don't ever think that we're all dependent on what you give in the offering or that you're, if you don't shout, if you don't show up, we're not having church. I'm going to tell you right now, he can use a couple of, a, a couple of things 
that looks like nothing to do great things. He already has used the, the wisdom of this world to confound the foolishness of things of this world to confound the wise. He's already done that and he can do it all over again. Every day he does it all over again. So this is the Lord's work and the Lord allows us things. He allows us the opportunity to be effective, but he also allows us the opportunity to be ineffective. The Lord allows us to succeed. He also allows us to fail. He allows every church body to grow and he also allows them to be stagnant. Hmm. It's his will that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But it's not always the people's will. And we are the only creation that can supersede the will of God. You've got to crumble your will. Even Jesus Christ himself in the garden had to take his humanity and submit it to the will of the Father. And he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine be done. And if he had to do that, we have to also. He will not override your will. He won't make you get up. You have to do it yourself. He will not make you shout or worship or clap. You have to do that of your own volition. Amen. He won't make you be faithful. You have to decide that. So he gives us the opportunity. We can grow if we want to grow. You want to grow? We can grow. We can grow. You want, you, you, you want to plant a, a, big, a big garden in the side of the, uh, one of our fields? We can all do that. Let's all get out there, put some okra and some green beans. We can do that. Someone's got to till it. Someone's got to plant it. If, if, if you, we feel like the Lord wants us to do that, everyone's got to participate. Do we want new people to come to the church? All you have to do is just go... Go petition everybody you can to come to the house of God. If you want, if you want someone to be at your house, you ask them. You prepare something. Say, I've got a dinner. I want you to come. It all rests on our desire to do something for the kingdom. So I'm getting to this now. So let's investigate a little bit how, how we uh, approach the spiritual disciplines of life and how it attends to the health of the church and everyone's individual call. Every person is equipped with common armor, but also appointed armor. And before we get there, we need to establish a few working definitions. So I hope you pay close attention to this here. There are two polar and and, um, and opposite terms that can often be confused. One is personality and the other is individualism. They are extreme different. They are extremely different. Personality. I'll give you the working definition for our night tonight. It's the combination of distinctive traits or qualities that make up a person. That's the combination of distinctive traits or qualities. Every person has their own personality. Individualism, on the other hand, is the habit of being independent and self-reliant. It's a habit. The difference is what's baked in and what is, what is created or developed. Your personality is almost like your DNA. It's built in. It's what you are from birth to adulthood. Yes, it, it, can, have, it can have something to do with your genetic code. It can also have something to do with, with your environment when you were very young, where you grew up. 
the conditions of, of your life, personality, how your family treated you, how, how you were raised, what you learned. But it's basically baked in. But individualism is a developed, a chosen position. It's a developed position. It's a chosen position that had its, has its root in pride and, and also in fear. Pride in that the person wants to stand out uh, or be different. Or fear in that they are afraid to be rejected or they feel inept. So individualism works against the collective body of the church. Individualists have a tough time submitting to anyone. They don't want anyone to tell them what to do. A personality, everyone should have their own personality. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful array of colors. It's, it's the beautiful um, palette of colors that God has created. But individualism, especially in today's um, cultural uh, concept, individualism works against the body working together. And so I'm looking into the uniqueness to the armor that attends to your personality or where you've come from or what God has put in your hand. We'll do that one first. And that's the appointed armor. So on your page, I'm on the appointed over armor. Let me just give you the small breakdown, the synopsis, I suppose, a summary of the story. David is the youngest of the sons of Jesse. He is almost an afterthought. All the other brothers, Eliab being the oldest, is, is on the battlefield. They were all either conscripted for war or they, had, or they were part of the, of the national army. On one hillside is the camp of Israel. On the other hillside is the camp of, of Philistia. In the middle is a, is, a, is a wide valley. This was really... Um, part and parcel to most battles. The battle is going to be waged in the middle, but, but even in those days, the greatest of both armies might fight one another and then it would spare the lives of all the other men, they, as they thought. This was not unusual. So Goliath is on one side, he's bellowing obscenities towards Israel and Saul and the army is on the other side. And they are huddling in fear because Goliath is so large. He's a massive man. He's over nine feet tall. And he is a giant. Um, this, is, uh, this is a fierce battle. There's no one on the side of Israel that has enough courage to fight him. But they, they don't have courage because they are being misled by their leader. And the Bible says that Saul will discover David. David is asking. David wants to, wants to engage. And so they bring the only willing participant. And at this point, David is approximately 17 years old. He is, uh, he has a, a ruddy face. He's kind of a, maybe a reddish, uh, 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 hair and face. He, um, he probably is thin and, and he doesn't look like he's a a bulked up guy. In fact, his brothers think that he's just full of pride and arrogance and they accuse him of that. You're just full of pride. To which David says, is there not a cause? There's a cause. I can do that. There's a cause. And so he meets with King Saul. And Saul has no options. Trust me when I tell you. If Saul has an option, he does not, he does not pick David. Because the, the result of this one battle, this one two-man fight, 
uh, will set the conditions of Israel. And, and the outcome of that is very important. It's critical. But Saul will relent and say, okay, you can fight this giant, this Goliath. And so in Saul's mind, remember, Saul has grown cold. He's distant from God. He didn't start that way, but he's distant from God. He was anointed of, of the prophet Samuel, but now he's distant from God and he's cold and he's, he, he's, he's, he is uh, indifferent even to the spirit. And so here's your Bible and I put it on your page. Saul armed David with his armor and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed with a coat of mail. Of mail. That would be um, scales. That would be uh, heavy scales. And David girded his sword. This was, this was not David's sword. This was Saul's sword upon Saul's armor. And he, he, he got ready to go. He's starting to walk. But he, he realized he couldn't go. So it paused him. It, it, it caught him in his tracks. He, he paused. He couldn't go. And the reason why... That he couldn't take it is because he had not proved it. He had not proved these weapons of war. And so David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not proved them. And David took them off and cast them aside. Now let me just give you a few points to ponder here. King Saul was living in, in disobedience. He was living there. Now there's a, there's a big difference between being disobedient and living in disobedience. Those people who are living in disobedience are lost. All of us might disobey, but repent and do better tomorrow. Don't live in disobedience. When you live in disobedience, you become cold and numb to the voice of God. And it's difficult to connect with the word of God. Saul was living in disobedience. He was fearful because he had removed the prophet in his life. There was no prophet right now. The prophet should have been there with him. This was a battle. This was a war. Number two, King Saul could have defeated by himself this giant and this massive man. But he lost faith. He found position. How, where did he find it? He found it in kingship. His own kingship. I'm asking you tonight, where do you find your faith? Do you find it in your talent or your ability? Do you find your faith in individualism? Do you find confidence in who you are as an individual or what you have in your home or the fact that you might have a, a retirement uh, or, or that you've got a, a good job and you're part of some, uh, some team that you know you won't be fired? Where, where is your confidence at? Where do you put your faith? I think... And I can't prove this, but I do believe that had Saul repented and made it right with God and had the prophet by, him, by his side, Saul could have gone out into the valley of Elah and killed Goliath without asking anyone else to do it. But he was living in disobedience and he, he became fearful. Because disobedience always makes you afraid. You're always afraid. Disobedient people are always afraid to be lost. They're always afraid that God's going to come back. They're always looking over their shoulder wondering what's going to happen. Disobedient people. Living in disobedience is where Saul was found. And he, the only thing he had left was his kingship. His, his appointed position. God gave it to him. 
but there was no connection to God. Can you imagine being appointed or called to a position by God, but then the communication to God is severed? This is a, this is a uh, very sobering thought. And number three. See, when David came to Saul, he had already established his faith. He established in the field of his daily work. David had already met two powerful opponents, the lion, the bear. His faith was high because he had fought those opponents and he won. I'm going to get to this in a moment, but just remember, the establishment of your faith does not come at the most egregious times of life. It comes by daily disciplines, spiritual disciplines of life. I have confidence in in people who are always present. My marriage has confidence because there is a daily discipline in our marriage. It's a daily discipline. It's a routine. The daily disciplines of relationships gives confidence in relationships. There's not a question in your mind that I'm going to be in this pulpit teaching on Wednesday night with a handout. Of course, last week we had a missionary. It is something I've been doing for 19 and a half years right in this pulpit teaching with handouts. I don't try to tackle everything at one time because you know how to eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. I'm not trying to, trying to put the whole Torah into your brain. I'm not trying to, to exegete all of the end time scriptures. Uh, one moment, one principle, one truth at a time. Sometimes we walk in here and, and I'm teaching about being friendly, being kind. Well, that, that, that's elementary, Pastor. We all know about that. Well, if you knew about that, then you ought to be smiling. But when I teach about being kind, I already know who doesn't like it because they're, they're frowning and growling. No, that means you need to go back to the class and write down how to be kind. Mm-hmm. We're doing good right now. I, I'm loving this feeling. Whatever I just touched on, I'm just liking it right here. Because the building up of your faith is line upon line, precept upon precept. Here, here a little, there a little. This is how, this is how Isaiah wrote it. We build up, no one gets to trigonometry and geometry until you first learn addition and subtraction. You probably don't know how to be a man until you learn the, the menial responsibilities of how to mow the, the lawn or something. You've got to go small before you go big. And if you try to go big without being small, that's when your relationships fall apart. It's exercising the disciplines of life every day of your life. Every day. And it looks boring. It looks menial. It looks, re- it looks redundant. But let me just tell you. You will never get to Goliath. Goliath will destroy you un- until first you go to the father's field and you protect innocent sheep. And when you do that, when you're protecting them, then the Lord will put on you an opposition and that opposition, when you defeat it, you go to the next opposition and then finally you get to the field of Elah. I, I am concerned with everybody who wants to go to the field of Elah. I'm ready to fight spiritual battles. No, you're not. Why don't you first find yourself and fight the boredom of a 20-minute prayer meeting with God. Because after about three minutes, you run out of words. And then you say, let's just read the Psalms. 
it's okay. But the next time, you might be able to pray four minutes and five minutes. It might take you a month to pray 20 minutes and get that out so you learn how to be open with God and express yourself. The Bible speaks against vain repetitions in prayer. There are, there are many religions in the world that have vain repetitions, repetitions over and over and over again. Sometimes I have to pray, most of the time, in places where no one can hear me. I don't want you to know what I'm saying. I've got to tell God about what's going on in my life. Now, I'm going to tell you, he already knows, but he likes to hear it from my own mouth. Nothing's hidden from God. But when I do that, the Bible says I'm confessing myself to the Lord. It's a confession. So the establishment of your faith, you have to establish your faith. Wednesday night primarily has been about establishing our faith and our truth that we believe in. It's establishment of our faith. And this is what happened to David. Here's number four. Saul put on his weapons and gave them to David. It was a coat of arms. It was a metal scale. It was a sword too long for his torso. It was a helmet that didn't fit his head right. It was formed and made for the head of the king, but not for David. And I will tell you, unfamiliar weapons are dangerous to you. They're unfamiliar to you. I believe that David would have died had he used King Saul's armor. I'm just going to tell you right now. There are people in this church that do spiritual warfare. And you might be enamored with that. But you just grew up in the Lord and don't desire their position. If the Lord wills and you, and you develop a great prayer life, you'll get there. You don't need to start trying to fight devils and spirits. I'll, I'll tell you what you fight. You fight your flesh first. See if you can get that conquered. And as you're fighting your flesh and your will and your energy levels and your commitment, all those other things will, will be present. Trust me, they'll be present. The worst thing you could do is try to engage in a spiritual battle for which you are not equipped. Don't do that. Don't try to call out spirits. Don't try, to, don't try to speak to the devil. You don't need to speak to the devil. You speak to the Lord. There'll come a time when you, have to, when you have to say something in Jesus' name. Don't get all mystical. You just get up and love the Lord. Read your Bible. Don't try to see things that are not there. They are there. There's an invisible battlefield, but don't go looking for it, ladies and gentlemen. This is why I, I try to personally lead people away from, from magicians that, that, that invoke mysticism and Ouija boards and things that are, that are designed by the human mind to call up spirits. Be careful. You might call up something you can't control. And you might say, well, I have the Holy Ghost. Yes, but if God didn't direct you, you're putting yourself in big danger. There is a spiritual world and it exists all around us. It's an invisible battlefield. Amen. And if you try to use my armor, you're going to get in trouble too. And if I try to use yours, I'm going to get in trouble also. And, and here it is. It was an unfamiliar weapon. Number five, David would have died had he used King's, uh, King Saul's armor. They, they did not fit him. He did not know how to use them. And up to this moment, it appears that David had never used a sword in battle. He had never used a sword in battle. Number five, all armor must be proven. It must be proven. 
You know what God has put on you. It's an appointed armor. It's your unique appointed armor. It's made for you. You've grown up with it. See, you would say, well, I, I, I haven't always served the Lord. I haven't always been in church. Yes, but the things that you learned, God can use it for the kingdom's sake. Amen. That's right. If you're a good salesman, sell the gospel. It's a good sell. It doesn't cost anything. <laughs> There's a lot of benefits. Sell truth. Sell peace. And there's many other things. I don't want to get down on that because then I'll leave somebody out. Um, number six. God gives the opportunity. He gives you the opportunity. The Lord has given all of you the opportunity. He gives us opportunities every week, every day. This is what happens when we, when we don't take the opportunity. We become like, like the brothers of David. And we get angry and bitter that someone else is accomplishing something in the Lord. And the reason why they are doing it is because we passed by the opportunity. You have the opportunity to be a powerful, Holy Ghost filled, soul winner, disciple maker. You have the opportunity even right now. You have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to gain more than you came with by learning how to give more than you came with. You have the opportunity to be a great Bible teacher. All you have to do is convince somebody, some friend, some neighbor to come to your house and sit down and open up the book. And little by little, you can become a powerful Bible teacher. The opportunity is there. What we've done in, in the modern church is we think ministry by opportunity is what the pastor dictates or allows or appoints. This is all completely wrong. It's backwards. We're coming to the church to try to find out what our ministry is instead of looking at our own lives and realizing the world is the field. Jesus never prayed for the field. He prayed for laborers to go into the field. His prayer is that you would go work in the field, not for you to work in the church the opportunity is there do you, would you like to do it here's the opportunity you can pass or you can take it what would you like to do? do would you would you like to be in the play would you like to be in the drama next year you can be in the drama next year did you look up at brother at brother morris and say man that is awesome i didn't know he could do it i would have liked to have been in the drama you should have been in the drama nobody ever uses me you could have been part of the crowd scene they just put an outfit on you, just walk around with everybody else and you yell. You all know how to do that. Come on, somebody. Yes, I know you do. The, the opportunity to serve, it's all here. But it's out there, the opportunity for whatever you want to be. Do you want to be a powerful mover? Do you want to be a worshiper? The opportunity is there. It's always there. God gives the opportunity like he's given the church the opportunity. We have the opportunity. And, and hear me. The reason why I'm so driven is because I know I have a short window to promote a powerful revival. I have a short window. And that window will close. Amen. I've got to do as much as I can. And finally, faith is often built up. I wanted to get to this. It's built. It's built up. It's built through various difficulties, thus increasing over time. 
through the victories of your past. This was, this was what you're going to do. You're going to be able to defeat things next year. If you'll, just, if you'll just work on the battle right now that you're engaged in, defeat that and go on. Next year, a, a bigger thing's going to come, but you'll be able to tackle that. You'll be able to tackle that. But you've got to defeat what you're at, where you're at right now. You've got to pray. You have to be involved right now. Faith is built up little by little by little. How do these people get to this point where they have so much faith? How does our evangelist that was here, and I'm not even sure if he's an evangelist. I'm trying to, I'm trying to wrap my head around. Maybe he has a prophet in him. How does he get to the point where he is so full of faith? Nothing phases him. It starts Little by little, he's seen so many things of God, so many stories, so many miracles, that by the time he gets to an audience that he's going to preach and deliver the word of God, he believes more than you believe because he's seen it over and over and over and over again, every time, all the time. So your faith is built up. You grow in your faith. You exercise your faith. Your faith is Every past victory ought to launch you forward. And every time you feel weak, you ought to go back to those past victories and say, I, I don't understand what's going on right now, but I know the Lord did the work yesterday or last year. And the problem is we're not reminding ourselves where God, what God did for us. He did something great for you. And if he did something great for you then, what makes you think that he can't do it now? Your faith has to build up. How, how do we... How do we let go of our faith when we know that God is able to do anything? God is able to do anything. He's able to do things that you don't think you, he can do. And by the time you think it's over and it's dead and won't work, here comes God. My God, Nevin, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, we got to have a witness in the house. Maybe you should be talking to Greg and Shannon Myers. Who prayed for 14 years to have a baby and then adopted babies and then did all the foster care and had over 50 kids in their house. And now they wake up one day and say, what happened? Uh-huh. If we don't know by now, we got to go back to build up our faith in the Lord. This is how David faced Goliath. He did not face Goliath the day that he picked up a sling and put a stone in it. No, he had been practicing a long time. Chances are, I cannot verify, there was a lot of trees in his father's field that were lost their bark because he had been beating those things up with rocks and stones for a long time. Chances are. I'm sitting down with Nico. We're doing his Bible quizzing. And he's got to have a lot more verses. But, but we, we got to a pile of verses, one of his stacks of Bible cards. And I said, we need five. We, you, you've got to, you have got to memorize five verses. I just picked the next group. You got, we got to get through this, man. So we sat there and I, I said, okay, here's the first one. The second Thessalonians 5.17. Flipped it over. Pray without ceasing. Everybody say it. Pray without. You did it. You're part of the Bible quizzing team. He said, this is going good. Then he got a card from Ephesians. He said, I know that one from last year. He quoted that one. Then he had another card that he got from the year before. Another verse from another portion of scripture. He said, I know that one. And he quoted it. And the five verses, I wish I'd have picked ten verses. Because three of the five he already knew. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't even count. Does that even count? 
Why didn't Paul just put that into another thing? Why did I mean, he did, but the translators just decided that's good enough. By this time, when I go back and look at the scriptures that he's memorized, it's 240 verses one year, it's 282 verses the next year, or whatever it is, and then little by little, and I go back to when I was in Bible quiz, and of course we memorize a lot more scripture, but Sister Huttiger remembers this, I, don't, I barely remember it, but, but she was my Bible quizzing coach when I was young and a teenager, and she said, Jeffrey, you used to be able to quote the book of Acts from the last verse to the first verse. And I did it because little by little I was exercising that part of my brain every day, memorizing Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, knowing where the, how is my faith established? It's one moment at a time, one line on a time. If you're new to the church, let me tell you what the requirements are here. Are you ready for the requirements? All the new people. Are you ready? Come. Attend. And book is closed. We'll get to the next, the next requirement next year. Come every Sunday, every Wednesday for one year. Come. Don't ever miss a service. Come to prayer. Come every time you can come. When they say church is canceled, just come anyway and see if somebody else might show up. Here's your requirement. Come. Be here. Attend. That's it. If you'll just be here. Let me tell all the other people, when you're feeling low and you're down and your life is messed up and they're surrounded by all kinds of problems and you cannot open your eyes and you do not see the hand of God and you do not see the horse of the fire and chariot, that you get to the house of God. If you're depressed and you're down and you're low, you get to the house of God, you come. Let me tell you the requirement. You get up. Get up. Love God. Praise God. When you don't feel like it, praise God. When you're down, praise God. When you have no money left, give your last quarter and God will come through for you. Because you are establishing something. Hear me. You're going to defeat a Goliath. You're going to defeat great things in your life. But you're never going to get there until you first attend and be in the presence of God. He's trying to change you from the person you used to be into the man he wants you to be. He wants to change you from the lady you used to be into the lady you will become. And he does that through saturation. It's like taking a, it's like taking any item and pickling it. It's a cucumber into a pickle. It's the saturation with the stirring waters come every service. Even when you think you're not getting anything out of it, I promise you, your spirit is being cleansed every time you come to the church house. You may not have even broken your bad habits. You might still have a habit of cussing. You might still have a habit of drinking. You might still be watching Jerry Springer. God forbid. Come to church. I don't know why I said that. Is he still around? I thought he might be the mayor of Cincinnati by now. Who knows? I got off. See, I got a little off there. It was working out so well. A church has many facets with many people with diverse backgrounds. And through, here, here are some big words. Write them on your page. Through obedience and submission to one another. All of our gifting will work together through obedience and submission to one another. Because the Bible says, submit yourselves to one another. We're going to talk about gifts. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. What's both spiritual and natural gifts. We want to talk about it. They're found in the scripture. But for now, let's understand that the uniqueness is not for self-glorification. If you have a unique spiritual gift, it's not for you to be glorified. 
No one person should purposely stand out in order to be seen. We want the operation of the church to glorify God, not glorify individuals. I'm not the father of the church. In fact, the Bible says that we should call no man father. Isn't it interesting that the Catholics have graven images and call their priest father? Have they ever read the Bible? Let's get back to the Bible. I'm not your father. I might be your preacher and then I may be your pastor, which are two different things. So there should be no glorification of any one person. Having said that, there are more desirable gifts. Yes, there are. And we should seek after them, pray for them, pray that God would make us humble enough and obedient enough to use them. Because the Bible also says, and I'm going to quote this again, so don't get weary with this, this quoting. The spirit is subject to the prophet. And basically that translates in our day that if anyone stands up to give a testimony and I don't think it's the right time, I'm going to ask them to sit down. Or if anyone stands up to give a prophecy and I think that's not the right time or out of order, I'm going to ask them to sit down. It could even be from God. Even if it's from God, it may not be the right time. Because with all your wisdom, get understanding. You can have the right thing to say at the wrong time. No one will receive it. <laughs> oh, yes. I've been around this a long time. <laughs> mm -hmm. I remember as a young boy, one woman liked to stand up and give words to the church. Usually it was about her grievances. Sometimes she'd give a testimony. It wasn't a testimony. She was trying to put somebody in their place. Testimony services were the best times of church ever. We got to hear the intimate details. See, we, we didn't have Facebook or Instagram, but we had testimony service. And if you were going to miss any part of the service, you know, do, go, you know, doodle around and, and go to the bathroom. But testimony service, you want to be in there for that. There was good stuff that happened, but there was some weird stuff that took place in testimony service. My grandpa used to stand up, and he'd, people, he'd, he'd yell, beat his chest. Old Italian, he'd do all kinds of crazy stuff. He'd tell everybody about his life. And my grandmother, Annie, she'd pull on his coattail next to him and said, sit down, sit down, sit down. And then they would get into an argument. And he would tell her, Annie, I'm not done. They want to hear me. They love me. One time my grandmother was sick. My dad's preaching. Dad's preaching the best he could preach. And mom is on the front row always doing this. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. I don't know if she was trying to help dad or what. She was, come on, Jesus. And dad's preaching. And grandma was very, very sick. She had, she had never been that sick. And dad and grandpa Farino stood up and said, Bill. My dad's first name is Bill. Bill. Annie's sick. We're taking her home. And he just got up and walked right down in front and just talked to everybody. People pray. Annie's sick. People pray. Rosalie, get the pasta. Come down after church. Bring the pasta. You're preaching a good sermon, Bill. Keep going. We're going. Annie's sick. We're down. Church was over. <laughs> Grandma had passed away and Grandpa moved up. 
there was a whole row of widows. He sat right next to him. There was a big glass windows next of the church. There was, there was glass windows there and the sun would shine on a Sunday morning. Grandpa had crazy ideas that if he, that he could self-medicate. So he, he had sinus trouble. So he decided to, to sniff salt and vinegar, which destroys his na- nasal cavity. And he stood up in testimony service. I want to testify. Jesus healed my nose. My honker is healed. My honker. And then he held one side of his nose and blew his nose on all the little widows. And we could see it through the rays of sunlight. And they were just going, oh, Brother Farino, what's wrong? I heard a lot of stuff. I know a lot of stuff about a lot of people I would not have known except someone stood up and told everything they knew. Just like some of you posted. Yeah, you're laughing about that, but you all post all the kind of stuff. We don't even want to know. That's why I'm not on Facebook. Somebody asked me the other day, did you see that thing on Facebook? No, thank God. I want to poke out my mind's eye every time they tell me. All right. So there are individuals. These are, listen, there's individual things for you. It's an armor specifically designed it's a tool specifically designed for you and don't think that god can't use you he can use you just allow him to use you be pliable god will use you but let's talk about maybe these general pieces of armor and i call them common armor but they're really not common at all they are extraordinary they are powerful but to those who have been born again of the water and the spirit, they, they are applicable and they are, uh, they are available. We have access to things because we're of God. Even like Paul wrote, little children, we are of God. Everybody say, I'm of God. You're not of the world, you're of God. So here's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Did you know that? Did you know that every day you're wrestling against principalities? What is a principality? It's a, it's a designated governing ruler over a specific or, design, or defined space. The devil's been doing this a long time, much longer than us. The whole world is on a grid. You think we have a map? He has a map too. There are specific spirits for specific regions of the world. When I travel abroad, I can feel different spirits in those regions. Many of my friends have encountered other spirits when they go to China or to India. There are very unique spirit. There's a spirit world. Even in the United States, there is a spirit world. These are principalities. Some of our coastal regions have spirits attached to them that govern over those regions. And our pastors have spoken about them many times. Listen to Mark Morgan a little bit. You'll figure this out. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So because of that, Paul is going to offer this to everyone. Now, what's the image about the whole armor of God? Why does he use this imagery? Why does the imagery talk about armament? Because Rome, thank you, because Rome was occupying the region and because this was the most relatable 
um, analogy to spiritual things. The armor or the armament was used. If he was writing today, he might have written something else. But this particular imagery is in relation to Rome. We are, we are knee deep in the Hellenistic uh, culture. And so Paul is going to use these things that are relevant to the to the, uh, to the people that, that are there. So we run a race or we wrestle because wrestling was a, it was like a Colosseum art. It was a, and racing was, uh, it was, it was the Olympics. It was the Greeks. It was what they did. So it was flesh against flesh. It was the embattlement. The devil lions, they were, uh, they were used. They were brutal. Many of them were brutal. They were, uh, they were used in, in tearing men apart or, or a man might have a dagger and they would release a lion he'd have to fight the christians were 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 fed to the lions and and so it's a very easy transition for paul and the new testament writers to even use the spirit of the devil as a roaring lion think of this now the devil's demonic spirit is always related to a lion but a false brethren or people who cause divisions in the church are related to in the spirit a ravenous wolf the wolf is never related to the, to the dark spirits. The wolf is the human spirit that seeks to destroy the people of God. A ravenous wolves. That was just for free. It was not even, there's no even line. That should have been a line. It should have been like a fill in the blank line. So here we are. So this is why he's saying, take you the, unto you the whole armor, not part of it. Because they all work succinctly together that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore here's how you stand now i don't want to get into this this combination of verse 13 and 14 i just want to move past that although it's wonderful i just want to get into these specifics of paul's uh presentation having your loins girt about with truth have it on the blessed breastplate of righteousness your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace that word gospel could have been could have been capitalized in some in some um, uh, older manuscripts that would have been the gospel with a capital T and a capital G above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked remember we're not talking about fleshly battle we're not talking about battling against flesh we're not wrestling with flesh and blood take the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit. That's the word of God. This is the one that he actually re- gives great credence to. And he gives explanation to. But when he says the word of God. He's not speaking about the Bible that you're holding. Because the Bible that you're holding is being written, spoken while he's talking. Praying always with all prayer and supplication of the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. So our constitution our makeup is of God. He's a powerful God. We are commissioned to live an overcoming life. We're commissioned to live an overcoming life. We ought to live an overcoming life. But we have issues. Why do we have all these issues? Why are we struggling living an overcoming life? I, I won't exhaust it, but there's three reasons why we're struggling through depression, anxiety, the weight, and maybe even being defeated. Why? Here's the first one. This and there is, and we are in a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle being fought without the necessary tools. 
Not everybody is employing the necessary tools. You cannot engage in a spiritual battle without putting on the whole armor of God. When you do, you'll become weary. You'll get hit. If you don't have an umbrella of protection, no authority in your life, if you don't, if you don't employ Hebrews 12, and I believe it's verse 14, where it says, where the Bible says, obey them that have the rule over you. If you can't answer the question with a name, who has the rule over you, you are fighting a battle all by yourself with no covering. You ought to be able to name with an actual name a person, not someone's dead, not George Washington. A name of someone you know that is a spiritual person in your life that has the rule over you, that means they have the veto power in your life. Can anybody say no to you? Can anyone reprove you or rebuke you? The Bible says that's what the part of the Bible is for. The scripture is for. Not too long ago, two individuals stood right here and the man was in submission and the woman was not. And when I felt that she was out of submission, I put my hand on his shoulder. I put my hand on her shoulder and she pulled back. And I said, hear me, until this gets in order and you go back to your pastor and you submit to him, you should not walk in this house, but you go back to your pastor, your original pastor. You go back to him. You submit yourself to him. And until he releases you to come here, this is not the house where you should go. And I said, tomorrow I want you to give me your, your phone numbers. And the man said, okay. And the woman said, I don't know. And I never heard from them again. And the reason why is they don't have a name of anybody that fulfills Hebrews chapter 14. You want to fight a spiritual battle, you better know who's around you, who's leading you, what kind of spiritual authority you have in your life. Because if you don't, the spirit world is going to infect your home. It's going to do battle in ways you can't, you can't calculate. Oh, I know I'm, I know I'm speaking the word of God right now. This is the first reason, because we're fighting battles, but we don't have the whole armor of God on. Here's the next reason. It's the cares of life, and they're very difficult. The cares of life. We're weighed down with the cares of life. Here's the cares of life. The days are evil. Did you not know that you're living in an evil day? When transvestites are given courage awards, and babies that survive abortion are considered maybe not even valuable enough to tend to. Tend to. We're living in evil days. We're right's wrong and wrong's right. Everything that was good's called evil. Everything's evil's called good. You're in an evil day. You're working in an evil day. The cares of this life. Let me tell you about the cares of life. The cares of this life will bind you up so that you're so weary and worn from dealing with the spirits of this world. When you get from work to the church, it's almost like you need to take another bath and your brain needs to be cleaned. That's the cares of this life. And it will wear you down. And... Paul wrote, you got to redeem the time because the days are evil. Redeem the time. Take advantage of the day that you have. Take advantage of the moment you have in church. When you get into this house on Sunday morning, don't wait for your favorite song to be played. Chances are the chairs will be back out. You won't have enough room to do your thing. But there's enough room somewhere else. You ought to do it. Hear me. You ought to be shouting, praising, dancing, and jumping 
before your knees give out and you have to have a knee transplant and a hip transplant and before arthritis sets in. Because I can tell you right now, had Sister Hammond been in good health the other night, she would have been doing more shouting than she did, but she couldn't do it, Brother Hammond. Because her body won't allow her to do it. So I'm telling everybody, if you've got the ability, do it while you can. Because there's going to come a day when you can't. Redeem the day. Redeem the time to lift your hands and worship and cry. Redeem the time that you can shout, shout and jump and praise. Redeem the day that you can work for the kingdom. Because there's going to come a day. And there was a day when I met with Sister Jenkins who passed away of cancer. When I met with her, she says, you know, one thing I miss, Pastor, is that I really need to get to the church and I need to weed the garden. I need to make sure the roses are trimmed. And I said, Sister, Sister Jenkins, somebody else is going to do that. It'll be done. That's what she wanted to do. When you can't do it, that's when you wish you could do it. These days are evil. Get inside the church. Open up your Bible. Oh, no, here I go. Turn off the television. (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with our kids. I'll tell you what's wrong with them. We have let the television and media raise our children. Why don't you put on the Christian music station and turn off all the media devices and just say, let's relax. Oh, no. You don't want me to go down this. There's so much garbage being put into your brain every day and you're going to say, well, I just watched the news. The news might be the worst thing you could ever watch. That will get you so depressed. Are you a Venezuelan? Are you going? You can't do anything but pray. What are you going to do? That, that's inhibited you. Why do we have everything on in our homes, but we don't have Christian music playing, and we don't have our Bibles open, and if you ask the family to come to the table, let's read a little scripture together, they don't even know what that is. If the only Bible you ever hear is what you're, what you're hearing from me or from this house, you have got to be spiritually anemic. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about you. You're about to waste away. The cares of this life, the days are evil. You've got to guard everything. Even the music, you've got to guard everything. And all of you who are happy to be in church right now because it's not football season, let me tell you. No, I'm not even going to get down there. You know, you know, people don't like for me to mess with their sacred cows. They don't like that. They'll just clap and clap and clap as long as I talk about something that doesn't affect them. But the moment I start saying something that they like, they just kind of clam up and... I'm going to tell you right now, we've got to get spiritual. We are in a spiritual battle. You are in a spiritual warfare. Why would anyone ever leave the church and backslide? I'm going to tell you why. Because they're not spiritual and they're losing the battle and the devil and the spirit world is infecting our lives. There should never be a reason for you to leave this house. If you're offended, stay in the house. Jesus was offended in the house of his brothers and the place where you're offended is the only place where you can be healed. Read it in the Bible. See, I know I'm, I'm getting all flustered. i got to get back. This is what's so wonderful to have this handout. Okay, let's go to the next line. Here's another, re- here's another reason. Here's another reason why people are depressed and by, why people are, are weighted. Because there's carnality. It's carnal. They're carnal. Carnality. 
See, this is the ground level of activity that opposes the things of God, carnal. This is where we oppose the scriptures that make us wise into salvation, carnal. This is where we make excuses for bad behavior, carnal. Where we seek for material things more than we seek for God, carnality. This is where we seek to please our flesh, carnal. This is why people wear clothes that appeal to the opposite sex, carnal. The mall is not selling clothes, they're selling carnality. The television is not selling the television is not selling you a show. They're selling you carnality. Dancing with the stars is soft porn. And Dr. Phil is not even a real doctor. <laughs> That's true. Carnality. It's without or void of the mind of God. Carnality. Carnal people. People are carnal. I can feel when people are carnal. They don't speak about the things of God. They don't love God. They never cry. They never worship. They're never at the altar. They never pray for someone else. They're carnal. Whenever I talk to them, they're talking about the things that appease the flesh. Carnality. You need to pray against carnality every day of your life. Espunge that from your vocabulary. Espunge that from your spirit. Be spiritual. What's wrong with being spiritual? I'd rather you talk about God all the time than talk about other things that are carnal. When I get done preaching and the Holy Ghost moves and I'm exhausted and all the virtue has gone out for me, the last thing I want to know is that someone's dog had a puppy. That's happened to me. I've gotten done preaching and, oh, the Lord moved and people were changed and the Lord did great things and someone tells me about their dog having puppies and my first horrible inclination is that I just hope those dogs die. It's terrible. I have to... Ask God to forgive me. See how bad it is. (laughs) I want to rejoice over the Lord when I get done with Sunday morning. I don't know what you talk about, but when I get done with Sunday morning, I leave this house, but the word is still gushing out of me. I can't turn it off like a light switch or a faucet. The word is still, I got to talk about it. I got, I'm I'm reliving it. Sometimes I'm thinking about all the things I wish I had not some said. I wish I had, I lay my head on the pillow at nighttime and I regret many things that I've said and I pray God use it. I hope I'm not hurting the people, Lord, but I'm I'm preaching and I'm re-preaching it every Sunday night. I don't sleep well. Because I'm thinking about what's happening in the church. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. I can't think about anything else. If you want to know my motive, I'll tell you my motive. I don't care if you get a better job. If it means you're not going to be in the house of God, I'd rather you be in poverty. I'd rather you be poor, but be in the house of God than make $10,000 more a year. I'd rather you stay right here in this city and love God and help build the church than move to a place where there's no church and no revival than to go there and make more money but your family be lost. I'd rather you make good money just so you can give more to God not so you can buy another trinket another thing because my motive is all about the church and the saving of the people that are lost in our city devours me and carnality is the one thing it's the root level that just destroys everything about God it's without the mind of God what did God say what did the Lord say when we're angry we want to lash out at people I don't want to have a carnal mind. Carnality, the Bible says, is enmity against God. The carnal flesh. The carnal flesh is an attack against a holy God, a righteous God, a sovereign God. Oh, yes. I'm going to tell you about carnality. Carnality will grip even the best of us. He'll be a claw around your neck, an iron fist. 
It'll choke the very spiritual breath out of your, out of your mouth. Your lungs will be depleted. You'll think of things that are not of God. You'll have questions about things that you ought not question. You'll see people go through suffering and you'll think that there's a judgment and a curse against them. I'm going to tell you right now, Peter thought that same thing too when, when the Lord finally revealed what manner of death that he should have. And Peter said, be it far from me, the Lord. And the Lord Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things of God, but the things that be of men. What you don't know is the affliction of their flesh might be the very thing that saves their family. And the affliction and the death of Jesus Christ was the only way for Peter to be saved. He's lost until his best friend and his rabbi makes it his way until God, un, unto Golgotha's hill. And until Jesus gets to Golgotha's hill, Peter will be back in that boat, a dirty, rotten fisherman. But after the Lord goes to the cross and dies a cruel death, Jesus knew it. You're carnal. You don't even know the things of God. Your mind is against me. you got to turn your mind. There's a cause and a purpose. i got to get to Calvary so I can get to the tomb and I can't get to the I can't get past the tomb until I get to Calvary but when I get to the tomb I'm going to come back in three days and when I do that the reason why I'm coming back is because I got to have a glorified body when my body's glorified I'm going to leave the flesh here and all the fullness of God is going to dwell in me and I'm going to send the spirit back into you Peter so you see me on the outside but on the day of Pentecost I'm going to be on the inside you savor not the things of God but the things of being men so get behind me carnal man because I got to get back inside of you but I'm coming back in a spirit form what you don't know is that the Lord's trying to get something deep down inside of you and every time your carnal flesh rises up he's trying to suppress that he's trying to push that down get behind me I gotta do a work in your life but it's gonna go through my plan Mm, somebody said yes put your put your pins down and just clap to the Lord right now for a moment yeah 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 yes 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 just stand with me now I'm we'll just bring our papers back next week just stand with me put your books and your papers behind you and I just want you to lift up your hands right now I feel like the Lord just wants us to end right here and just save your own life Lord Lord help me to defeat the carnal nature that afflicts my life the thoughts of my mind I'm weighed down with the cares of this life I'm weighed down with all the duties that I have I'm worried about paying bills and I'm worried about things that I cannot control I'm worried about economies and other world crisis Lord when I I really ought to be worried about the lost and the kingdom Lord I ought to be worried about getting into your house Lord Lord I haven't put all the all the armor on Lord I've been seeking somebody else's armor but I'm going to submit myself to you Lord forgive us our carnality Lord and help us to be powerful help us to be spiritual help us to be prayerful Lord I want to be all in I want to want to be just halfway out I want to be all in Lord I don't know the path. Come on, say it. Say it to the Lord. I don't know the path. Say it. I don't know the path. I don't know where you're leading me, Lord. I may not understand the sacrifice, Lord, but I know that you want to put your spirit inside of me. So forgive me, Lord, of being carnal. Forgive me, Lord, of being fleshly. I know that your will is for me to serve you. I know that I'm wrestling against principalities and powers, Lord. Oh, so I need your spirit. I need your Holy Ghost. I need a divine appointment. 
I need a divine representation in my life. I need you. I need a visitation of the Holy Ghost and let it come with fire, Lord. Let it burn out everything that's in me that's contrary to your will and contrary to your way, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray, let it be tonight. Uh, uh. You can just cut the feed. Thank you. Love you. Oh, yes, 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 yes.